I do not understand what I do. The things that I want to do, I don't do them. And the things that I am trying so hard not to do, well, those are the things that I continually do. And it's weird because when I find myself doing the things that I don't want to do, it's almost as if it's not me who's doing them, but some kind of sinful nature that's inside of me. And I'm afraid that goodness itself, well, it doesn't live in me because my sinful nature does. Now, don't get me wrong. I want to do good. I desire to do good. I just cannot. I just keep doing evil. I want to do the will of God. I want to live by God's law. But it's like there's this other law that's waging war with my mind, with my body, with my spirit, making me a prisoner to this law of sin. What a wretched man am I. Who's going to save me from this body of death? You know, the Apostle Paul wrote words very similar to this from the city of Corinth in AD 58. And he was writing these words because he was struggling. He struggled with want. He struggled with desire. What do I want? What do I want? I think this is a question that each and every one of us has asked ourselves at some point in our life, if not regularly. What do I want? And I'm not just talking about the surface level kind of once, like I want another donut, I want a second cup of coffee, I already want to be at lunch, I'd rather be at the beach than here today. No. I'm talking about going deeper than that. What do I really want? To be accepted? To feel loved? To find value? To be included? to be healed. See, I think this is a difficult question for us to ask ourselves. It's a tricky question because the world does such a good job at leading us away from the things that we want and putting us into positions of things that we don't even need. It's almost like there's this eye appeal that exists out there that drags you away, that entices you and lures you away from what you truly want and even what God wants for you. It's a struggle. It's a daily struggle. And so I think the better question that we need to ask ourselves this morning, it's not, what do I want? It's what do I value? It's what do I value? Because I think we've all been in this situation where the world kind of leads us astray, where you know that you want something and you go after it, but you see something better that exists there. And so you go after that instead, and maybe it's a new job, maybe it's a new car, a new relationship, a new house, but then a week in, a month in, a year in, 48 payments in, you realize, man, this is not what I wanted. This is not what I expected. And so we have to train ourselves to think, not necessarily what do I really want, but more of what do I value? See, because lurking in the shadows of what you really want is what you truly value, what you consider to be most important in your life. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, look, I don't understand what it is that I'm doing. I know what I want. 
I know what I value. I know what's so important in my life. And I try to go after these things, but I always end up in the completely opposite direction. What is wrong with me? I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. It's difficult for us. And I think it's difficult because there's this conflict that lives inside of us between what we naturally want and what we really value. Third example of this is a couple of years ago, I had a, a Ford Explorer Sport Track truck and it died. And when I mean died, it literally died. Like pieces of the engine were disintegrating and falling off on the freeway. It was awesome, right? It was just so safe. And so I literally drove it until it died. Like I pulled it up into the place where I get new cars because I'm not going to mention where I got my new car from. And I, I leave it there and I'm trying to trade it in. And they're like, yeah, we'll give you some money as long as it runs. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it runs. Um, but anyway, side note to that. But anyway, so I go and I trade in my truck and I remember thinking, okay, what is it that I want? What am I looking for in a new vehicle? Well, I want a truck because I'm a truck guy. I like trucks. I want something that looks good, right? I want something that has that appeal to it. But more importantly, I want something I look good in, right? That's the most important thing right there. I wanted to have all of the newest bells and whistles. I wanted to have low mileage and I wanted to be the cheapest car on the lot. But for some reason, I just could not find this truck, right? It's just, it just didn't exist. And so I remember looking at trucks and I remember kind of gazing through everything and saying, okay, maybe I need to, to shift my approach a little bit. Let me look at some SUVs. But over here in the corner of my eye, something caught my attention. It was a bright fire red Dodge Charger. Whew. I remember looking over at this car and saying, that's what I want. That's but I look good in, right? So I go over there and I make my way around the car, like looking at it and like, oh, it's got huge trunk space and it's got nice tinted windows. It's got all the bells and whistles. It looks great. It's a great price, low mileage. It's actually a decent year. Get behind the wheel, take it for a test drive and just like sitting back with the one hand driving, right? All gangster style and make my loops around, pull back in. And I'm like, man, this is it. Like, this is what I want. Truck? Who wants a truck, right? You got this thing. This thing is awesome. And I remember it was then that the voice of reason spoke to me. And the voice of reason came in the form of my wife, Tiffany, and my parents, who were there with me as well. <laughs> and the voice of reason, I remember my dad saying, are you sure this is what you really want? And I remember looking over at Tiffany and seeing her shaking her head no. And she's like, I felt like a sardine in the back of this car. Like it was claustrophobic. I just couldn't do it. And as we were talking more and more, she's like, I just don't picture this as a family car. Right? It's like, but I want it. <laughs> like, this is me. This is the new me, right? This is where I want to go. But eventually I listened to the voice of reason and the voice of counsel. And I parted ways with that, trying not to look at it for the rest of the time that I was there. And I ended up finding a little tiny SUV, a Nissan Rogue. I was like, hey, it still looks good. It smells good inside. So that's a good plus, right? Uh, it's got some decent amenities to it. And yeah, I could see myself in this car. It's not a truck, but it's got good trunk space to it. It could be a nice family car if we ever get there. So you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to settle for this. I'm going to go for this. And I was happy. And then I drive it home. And on the way home from where I got it to home, like I ran over a construction area and nails and like popped the tires. And I was like, this is a fantastic start to this new car. And then we try to take a trip up to Big Bear with our high school students in this brand new car, only to find out that the car that I bought has a fatal engine flaw and can't make it a certain distance without overheating and dying. 
And so it's like, well, this is fantastic that I literally can't make it from Yorba Linda to Huntington Beach without having to stop because my car overheats. I love life. I so want that car. And as I sit there and I think and I reflected upon this, I started thinking, what is it that I really want? See, I know first I appeal says that I want something that I look good and I want something that's going to be awesome. But what I really value is something that's reliable. Something that I know that I don't have to worry about taking me to and from work every single day. Something that I don't have to worry about if I am going to start a family, that this would be a safe family car. Those are the things that are most important to me. Not looks, not bells and whistles, not years or mileage. That's what's important to me. And as I started reflecting upon this, I started thinking, well, as a Christian, how should I approach this? And I think that my question had to shift a little bit. And my question wasn't necessarily anymore, what do I want or what do I value? It became, well, what does God want for me? What does God want for me? And I know that this can be a very scary question. And the reason why it can be a scary question is because I think sometimes we feel that we're at odd ends with God. That what we want and what God wants are like competing agendas at opposite ends of the spectrum. That God, I keep praying. God, I keep asking for these things because I want them, but you never give them to me. God, what's going on? And so we get into this mindset, this mentality of, well, maybe I need to start bartering or bargaining with God and say, hey, you know what, God, if you will give me this, then I will start doing this. Or God, if you'll place this in my life, I'll stop doing this, even though I know it's wrong and I shouldn't be doing it to begin with. It's almost like we're holding God hostage. And it becomes this mentality of not what does God want for me to what does God want from me me. You know what, folks? That's so backwards. That's not how God wants it to be in our life. He says, that's not what it's all about. And I know that this is the case because when we look back at the story of Jesus teaching his followers how to pray, do you remember what the very beginning of his message was? What he told them, how he instructed them? If you don't remember, he says this, he says to them, when you pray, say, Father, our Father who's in heaven, hallowed be your name, your glory, your power, your might, your significance, your wisdom, there's power in you. Your name is hallowed. But you notice what Jesus calls him? Father. And I want us to stop here real quick because I think that's the important key word, Father. Now, how many of you in here are parents? Go ahead and raise your hand. Amen. That's awesome. I don't know why I looked at the youth. I hope that's not the case, right? (laughs) Amen, right? You're all parents. That's great. But let me ask you a question, parents. What do you want from your children? Now, here's some mumblings. Some of you may be struggling to find that answer. You know why? Because the true answer to that question is nothing. A good parent doesn't want anything from their children. They only want things for their children. They want them to feel loved. They want them to be successful. They want to see them grow. They want to see them get married. They want to see them be happy. They want things for their children, not from their children. And folks, the good news this morning is that's the very same thing your heavenly father wants for you. He only wants the best for you. No strings attached. He's not looking at something from you. He's not trying to pull it out of you. He says, I only want you to succeed. I want you to accomplish more than you ever possibly could have accomplished in your life and more. I want you to be happy. I want you to have all of these things. I want these things for you. I don't want anything from you. But in order to get these things, you've got to give me your wants. You've got to give me your desires. 
You got to give me what's going on in your life. You got you to give me your control. Submit to my control. And I know that can be a very scary word for us. We don't like to relinquish control to God. We like to hold the reins of control in our own lives because we feel that somehow if we let go of control that we're going to be left unsatisfied or unfulfilled, like our needs are not going to be met. And we're afraid of that. But let me ask, where did we get the notion that this is who God is? Where did this come from? How did God get such a bad rap as a father? How did he become such a bad person? And sadly, I think the answer can be found in the way that the church is portrayed in the world. In the way that some Christians live out their lives, it's become what the status quo of Christianity is. But you know what? That's not the case. When we take a look at Scripture, when we take a look at the New Testament and we read the words of Jesus Christ and how he interacts with his heavenly father and how his heavenly father interacts with him, man, is it different. Man, is it life-changing. There's power that exists behind that. There's something so amazing that is so much deeper than what we could ever have possibly imagined and more. But I know that it's difficult because we don't want to relinquish control because we're afraid we're not going to get what we want. But you know what, folks, the reality is, is that if you submit control to God, you'll find out real quick that what you want and what he wants for you are a lot closer than you ever possibly could have imagined. They're a lot closer. So that leads us to the question then, well, what does God want for me? What does God want for me? Well, I think Paul helps us with this in Galatians 5. He tells us about these things called the fruits of the Spirit. Now, basically what the fruits of the Spirit are, it's if you were to give complete control of your life over to God. If you were to say, I'm going to stop wanting, I'm going to stop asking for things that I think are going to make me happy, and I'm going to rely upon you, I'm going to trust in you, I'm going to follow you. These are the things that he would instill in your life. These are the things that he would give you to allow you to succeed, to take that next step, to be a better person in this world. These are the things that he would give you. Once again, we don't like to give up that control. And so instead of having these fruits of the spirit, these spiritual fruits, I think that we develop these fleshly fruits. That's very difficult to say. These fleshly fruits in our lives. These are the things that we're naturally born with that are ingrained in us. You know what they are? Look at this. They're hate, sorrow, fear, frustration, meanness, badness, faithlessness, unkindness, and slavery to desire. You see, these are our natural instincts in life. These are the byproducts of who we are as human beings living as a fallen creation. And our first response isn't, oh, I love you. Your first response is, man, I'm offended by this. I'm upset by this because we're prone to these fleshly fruits. But you know what? They don't satisfy anything. Hatred only leads to more hatred. Anger only leads to more anger. Faithlessness leads you further and further away from God. And I know that that's not what you want in your life. I know that's not what God wants in your life. And that's why he says, I've given you the fruits of the Spirit. You know what they are? Check this out. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. It says, this is what I want for you. And you may be sitting here this morning saying, man, that just sounds gross. I don't want love. I don't want peace. I don't want joy. I want a truck. (laughs) I want lower mortgage. I want to repair this relationship that I'm struggling with. These things, those are the Christian keywords. I don't buy into that. 
But you know what, folks? If you truly learn to surrender and to put what you think that you want aside and let God have control, you'll find out these are the very same things that you need. These are the things that we need most because these are the only things that can truly fulfill that hole that exists in your life. God says, I want to give you love, to be able to love someone who's unlovable, to show mercy and forgiveness to someone who may be struggling or someone who may have wronged you, to make amends, to repair relationships. Love can bring true happiness in life. Peace, to be content with where you're at. Joy, to have this ability to go into each and every circumstance of life knowing that God's got your back that you can be happy. And I know that we all have met some people in our lives who are just overflowing with joy. And when we see them, our first reaction isn't, man, that's great. How can I get some of that? Our first reaction is, what the heck are you on? Right? I don't understand. Your life is falling apart. Your life is in shambles, and yet you're still so full of joy. How? Why? What is all of this? You know, I've had the opportunity and the honor to travel to many places around the world in my life and go on several different missions trips all across the world. And maybe some of you have had the opportunity to go to a third world country or a missions trip of your own. But one thing that always just breaks my heart and lifts me up at the same time is the stories and the interactions that I hear from people. When I'm able to talk to them and and get to know them or have somebody translate on my behalf because I have no idea what they're saying, right? When I'm listening to their stories, I look at them and I see things like this and I think, man, how do you have such joy? You've got nothing. Where does this joy come from? Where does this happiness come from? And what I find again and again and again is the testimony of God's love because they say, you know what? This is what it looks like to surrender to God. To be able to say, you know what? I may not have what I want, but I've got Jesus. And that's more powerful than anything that this earth could provide. I may have these desires. I may have these needs. I may have things that I want, but I'm content because I know that God will still work through me. That God will provide every step of the way. Because that's who he is. And again and again, that's what his faithfulness does. And I sit back here in the United States and I think, oh my gosh, there are things that I want, but I don't realize that there are people all across the world who don't even have what I currently have. And how much do I take that for granted? How much do I say, you know, I want the latest and greatest. I want newer. I want better things without realizing that God is the only thing that I need. Nothing on this earth can bring me the happiness that he can bring me. Because he brings love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. This is what he wants to instill upon your life. This is what he freely gives you over and over and over again. And it's amazing. And it has the ability to change your life because that's when you truly begin to walk in the spirit. And this is what Paul leads us to in the next part of the scripture. He says, since we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. And this is so important, folks, because he's linking it back to something Jesus said at the very beginning of his ministry. You know, when Jesus was calling together his first set of apostles, his disciples, do you remember how he called them? Do you remember how he got them? He didn't stand on the shoreline and yell out, hey, you guys, come over here. He didn't say, hey, you guys in the boat, submit to me and be here. I command you to come over here. What did he say? Two words, follow me. Follow me. 
God, I don't know where I'm going in life. Follow me. God, I'm afraid that if I leave what I'm comfortable, what I'm used to, that I'll be unfulfilled. Follow me. God, I, I don't know. I have so many questions. I'm confused right now. Follow me. God, I'm afraid I'm going to get let down again. God, I'm afraid of being hurt. Follow me. You see, folks, when you learn to truly surrender to God and be filled by the fruits of the Spirit, and you come before God and you say, God, where are you going? Where are you leading me? He says, I'll tell you where I'm leading you. I'm leading you to love. I'm leading you to joy. I'm leading you to peace, to patience, to kindness, to goodness, to gentleness, to self-control. That's where we're going. That's where I want to take you because that's the only thing that can truly bring what you absolutely need in this life and more. And it's so exciting. It's so powerful to think about all of this and it just builds me up with energy. And can you imagine what if you were to take all of that energy you spent into worrying and being afraid and doubting and actually put it into something productive? What if you took all of the time that you spend trying to cover up something that you don't want other people to know and replace it with self-control? How much different would your life be? What about all the time, the money, and the resources you spend trying to accumulate earthly riches and wealth and the newest, the latest, the greatest, the best of the best, and you replaced it with kindness and goodness to your brothers and sisters? How much different would your life be? Can you imagine how different this world would feel if we were able to truly let go of what we want and start to actually live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit? That stuff is amazing. There'd be no hatred. There'd be no jealousy. There'd be no envy. There'd be none of this stuff. And that's why Paul, he finishes up this verse by saying this, let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Can you imagine if your businesses or your corporations got behind this? This whole idea, can you imagine the level of accomplishment and the things that you'd be able to get done where everybody can come together and say, hey, you know what? We're going to put our egos aside and we're all going to pitch in and work together to get this done regardless of who gets the credit. I'm not going to play good cop, bad cop. I'm not going to take sides. I'm not going to be envious or be jealous. I just want to help get this done. Can you imagine how much that would change or even your working environment? the relationships, the friendships, everything that's going on in your life, it's huge. And that's why this stuff has the power to truly change our lives. And I know a lot of people think this whole Christianity thing, some ooey gooey kind of religion, but if it was just that, we wouldn't still be here over 2000 years later. There has to be something more to this, something way more powerful than we ever possibly could have imagined. And this is what God is calling us to. This is what he wants for us. And I know that some of you this morning, you may not buy into all of this. You may say, love, joy, peace, yuck. I don't want that stuff. But you know what? God wants it for you. And whether you realize it or not, it's what you want for you. See, here's the thing that I know about you folks. I know that you want this, even though you may say that you don't, because you want to constantly be surrounded by people who characterize these things. You want your sons, your daughters to marry people who are characterized by these things. You want to be surrounded in your everyday life by people who live a life of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. We want to be immersed in these things because they are truly what's important. And once you start to recognize the important things in your life, guess what? They become the important things in your life. 
They have so much power behind this. And because that you value them and you pay attention to them, they keep growing and growing and blossoming. And soon you're like, I didn't even remember that I wanted a truck because I'm happy with what I have because I know that God will still provide. So what do you want? What do you really value? What does God want for you? Well, I think all of that is a lot closer together than we think it is. That what you truly think that you want and what God wants for you are closer than they ever have been before. And you start to dig and you start to pray and you start to read and you start to seek and ask yourself these questions. What is it that I'm truly looking for in my life? And you keep digging and digging and digging and break past that surface level answers. Eventually, you're going to find things like purpose and meaning and legacy and worth and value. And maybe just maybe along the way, you're going to come face to face with what God's will for your life is. It's so important. It's so powerful, but it all starts with you discovering what's most important for you. And so this week, if I could give you a little bit of homework, it would be this. And as you're in the daily routines of your life and you're in meetings, you're at home, you're in the yard, you're talking with friends, you're at dinner, wherever you may be, look around you, gauge your situations, your circumstances, and ask yourself, what is it that I'm missing What is it that I'm so desperately trying to fill in my life? And start to discover what it is that really is most important to you. And I guarantee you, the more that you attempt to discover this, the more you're going to find the value that God wants to place in your life. And once you discover what's important, you're going to be less prone to just settle for what you want. You know, folks, as your pastor, I don't want you to settle. And God doesn't want you to settle either. In scripture, he says, I hate people who are lukewarm. I spit them out of my mouth. He says, I've called you to something greater. I've given you everything that you possibly could need to build a life of success and accomplishment. Why aren't you taking it? I think that's why Paul, he knows all of this. And he sits there and says, I don't understand what I'm doing. I know that's where I want to be, but I just can't get there. But Jesus is saying, it's ready for you to take. These fruits of the Spirit, they're for you. I want to build you up. I want to encourage you. I want to nourish you. I want to give you everything you could possibly ask for and more. You've just got to be willing to surrender, to let go of your ego, to let go of your pride, to let go of everything and truly seek to follow Jesus. So what do you want? What does Jesus want for you? They're a lot closer than what you ever possibly could have imagined. Would you join me in a closing word of prayer? Father, God, thank you so much. God, thank you for allowing us to call the creator of our universe Father. Father, I have prayed for many of us that we would sink in and just change everything as it relates to how we view you. You're perfect. You're trustworthy. You're a heavenly Father. You're powerful. You're mighty. You're gracious. You're loving. Father, give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear. Father, I pray that many of us would just make these discoveries this week. These discoveries that literally can be life-changing. But more than just changing a few habits, Father, more than just changing how nice we are, how kind we are, Father, I pray that in this process we come face-to-face with you. That we would come face-to-face with what you've called us to be. Father, what you've created us to be. 
Father, we pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus.